I think the cherry on top as to why I dropped out was not just for me, but also being sort of a leader. I would feel like such a hypocrite because I preach an anti-college message to some degree. Yeah. And so if I was going to spend any more time, money, any of my resources on finishing college, getting a degree, it would just feel wrong. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 21. With your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. And in this episode, we have a fantastic guest. In particular, I think a lot of people think of financial independence as being something that has to start once you're fully done university, once you're fully done school, once you're a full adult. And I think our guest is going to be perfect for that. Yeah, honestly, Max is one of my favorite people. He's a 20-year-old entrepreneur. He was actually 19 at the time of this recording, and he's absolutely crushing the car flipping game. He was also a student at the time, but spoiler alert, after making some conscious life decisions, he's no longer a student and is moving on to some bigger and better things. Yeah, he's got great energy and just a fantastic perspective for someone that's so young. It, to me, is really showing the power of the internet and social media and just the fire movement in general. Yeah, we also had a great time with him at V2018. But enough chatting for now. Let's dive into the interview. So welcome to the show, Max. Glad you're here. So we'll dive into this more later. I tend to start a lot of the podcasts off with this. Can you give us a brief history of like the last year of your life, what you've been up to? The last year for me has been pretty hectic. So I've been wanting to try a whole bunch of new things. I'm not sure exactly which route in life I want to go yet. And so I'm just dabbling with different things, trying to get my feet wet for the most part. Nice, nice. So I thought that you were going to school, but just before this episode, we started talking and it sounds like that's not the case anymore. Correct. So I graduated back in 2016 from high school. I got really good grades in high school and I actually skipped a grade in junior high. So I've always been kind of the nerdy smart kid. And then in college, I went for the four-year degree, a traditional degree in business administration for my major and environmental science for my minor. And then I realized that I could finish that in two and a half years, taking a whole bunch of classes. Whoa. An undergrad degree. Correct. In two and a half years. That's crazy. And so I really pushed through that and got all but a semester away. And I flew out to Hawaii to finish that last semester and just could not handle it. Whoa. Interesting. Right. And so in the spring, I actually took a semester online and I felt, I guess I used this analogy to other folks that I'd spoken with. And I said, I took 20 steps forward and then going back out to Hawaii, was like 10 steps back. Wow. And I just couldn't do that to myself, even though it was paradise and I only had one semester left. It was just too tough for me because it was either material that I had already learned in the classroom in real life or material that I didn't believe would pertain to me. Right. Being someone who won't be traditionally employed. Okay, so the sunken cost fallacy's got to hit you hard in a situation like that. You've you've put a lot of time into this, money into it. Yes. How do you decide, hey, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's just not aligning with my goals, even though you've put all this time and money into it so far. Right. That was definitely a topic for internal debate. About the month before going to Hawaii for school, which is where I got my, or was planning on getting my degree, I had really awful nightmares about horrible stuff happening out there and I have no idea why so it was like my plane would go down or I would be on the bus or driving in a car and it would just drive off the side of the cliff and like I would drown and die like there were a whole bunch of awful dreams multiple hurricanes 
And then when I was flying out there, they had a huge hurricane warning. No. And so I went to class for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then class was canceled Thursday, Friday. And I decided and booked my ticket home on that Saturday. Wow. I had no idea. So I guess getting back to the whole sunk cost fallacy, I kept reaching out to different individuals, family members, friends, mentors, just people that I respected and valued their opinions and asked should I finish? And unanimously, they all said, get it over with. It's one semester. Just finish. You're literally in paradise. It's Hawaii. This is perfect. Wow. But for me, there was so much inner turmoil going on with that. And I realized that as I was just seeking external validation to make my decision, it wasn't something that I really needed. Yeah. And that I knew deep down for me what I wanted in my gut. And so I just followed that And I think the cherry on top as to why I dropped out was not just for me, but also being sort of a leader. I would feel like such a hypocrite because I preach an anti-college message to some degree. And so if I was going to spend any more time, money, any of my resources on finishing college, getting a degree, it would just feel wrong. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I never, I don't think I talk about this on the podcast. I might, I mean, I've been doing the, you know, I did my undergrad in computer science. I've been, you know, working full time. I've been doing the real estate investing thing. And I've also been doing a master's degree part time. It's taking up a chunk of my life, but not enough. And it's not really an interest of mine. It's not something I talk about very much, but I'm one course away from finishing it right now too. And my God, I have no, I have no inspiration to do so right now. Okay. So what goes through your mind when you know, you're, you're debating, you know, I have this, I have one, I have option one, continue what I'm doing or option two, I've got, I got to quit this. It's just, maybe it's just not lining up with what you want. Yeah. So that's pretty much what had happened. I realized my goals, at least in this moment and reverse engineered them and just realized that college wasn't any part included in that calculation. Okay. So, okay. On the, on the topic of wanting to quit college and kind of preaching the no college thing, you'd mentioned that you have kind of a scholarship idea that you're thinking about right now. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes. So with the scholarship, the co-founder of PayPal actually did something similar, but he's the only person to my knowledge who's done anything of this nature. And essentially he gave out, I think it was a hundred thousand dollars to 24 either young teens or teams of individuals to start up a tech company in Silicon Valley rather than going to school. And so what I would like to do is provide the financing to individuals to, I guess, chase their passions, follow their dreams. And if they realize that they need college to pursue those dreams, then great, go back to college, study with intent and focus and whatnot. But if college isn't something that they need or would hinder them with lots of debt and time wasted down the road, then it shouldn't be something that they should be so pressured and pushed to do. Yeah, I can totally see like people, everyone in people's lives when they're that age are being pushed, go to school like it's the only option. So it's really neat to see the idea of a scholarship that literally says, don't go to school and here's some money, like go try something, go start your own business. Right. Start your own business, move to a different state, try some sort of painting, culinary. I have no idea. Get your real estate license rather than spending the money on a degree, even learn a trade. I I would love to see some of like the applications for a scholarship like this. Like people, I'm, I'm sure the kind of people applying to this would be 
you know, kind of crazy, but in a really cool way. Right. right. Like I'm, I've got like, they're inspired by something. Mm-hmm. They're just like not inspired by school. Mm-hmm. That's really totally. neat. So, okay. When you were 16 really quick. Yeah. Can we jump back to that? Yeah, for sure. And so not only will this be giving uh, financial help to certain individuals, but it's also the notion and support behind the whole movement of not going to college because even if someone were to not win the scholarship, they would still know that they're supported in following their dreams or their endeavor. Right. That's so neat. So, okay. What about your undergrad? Were you, were you happy that you'd gone through with that decision or? Yes. So I, I went out of state. I've been living in Indiana. I grew up in Indiana and then took my undergrad in Hawaii, which everyone was saying, no, stay in state. It's safer. And had I not followed my gut to go out there, I would have definitely regretted it. And I had a lot of great experiences. I had great connections. And if I could go back in time and go back to school again, I would probably do that knowing what I knew then. But if I knew what I knew now, I probably wouldn't have done the exact same thing. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, like for me, I think school, school was a good choice. I think it was, I think it actually worked well for me. I got my job, you know, I was able to help like save up, start buying real estate and be able to get mortgages through the job, that kind of thing. So it lended well for a person like me, but at the same time, I knew from the beginning, it wasn't something I'd want to do for the rest of my life. Like it's never been a passion of mine. First of all, the field at all, but working for somebody else, it's really hard to be passionate when you're, when you're working on a project for someone else, somebody else's else's dream mission. Exactly. And like when I first started getting into real estate investing, it was like, this is exciting. I have control over the project. I can decide where I want it to go. Like there's more creativity involved. So yeah, I can totally see how there's people out there who would have the entrepreneurial spirit and not, not necessarily want to go chase school. Like, like the default is for Mm -hmm. everybody else. Definitely. So you'd also done when you were 16 years old, uh, I found that you did a 10,000 mile solo trip across the United States. What inspired a trip (laughs) like that at that age? Correct. So to get your driver's license in the U S you need to be 16 and a half, or at least that was the case when I was getting my license. And so my birthday is in September. So I was 16 and a half in March. And that summer I took a 10 plus thousand mile road trip across the whole East coast of the U S and then out to Colorado and Utah. Uh, I didn't make it to the West coast, but almost there in a little rickety old Mazda Miata, which if you're familiar with that, you know what I'm talking about. However, if you're not, it's a very, very small two seat convertible. Yeah. And so I packed that with stuff and no roof the whole trip. I did have a uh, convertible top. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But I slept in that car. Actually, I had the passenger seat out. And so my initial plan was to couch surf and uh, sleep in a hammock, talk about frugal travel (laughs) the entire time. And once I got rained on in my hammock, I said, no more. I'm going to sleep in my car. And so I made, I made it happen to where I could fall asleep in my car. You took the passenger, you took the passenger seat out of the car and and slept on that, on the passenger side somehow. Correct. That's crazy. Yeah. On a two seater car. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of anyone. I had to sleep upright. Uh, My legs extended. Like my feet were touching the bottom of the glove box. And then my hips were right where the, uh, I guess where the frame would go up to hold the seat. And then I slept up like this. So it was upright sleeping. How long was that trip? 
It was broken into two segments. So I went from Indiana up over to Maine, down the coast, over to Atlanta, and then back home, and then out to Utah, down the southern part of the U.S., over to Arkansas, where I have family living, and then back home. And so it was two trips that were a couple weeks each. Wow. Like, there's already a recurring theme here of you doing things that other people aren't doing. So, like, where are you getting these ideas and how are you how are you deciding to, like, do things that other people are doing? Yeah, I would say that I have really supportive parents. Maybe they haven't supported me in giving me the car to drive safely across the U.S. or (laughs) paying for the whole thing or letting me max out their credit cards. But they have been supportive in allowing me personal freedom of choice to do certain things and take my own risks And so without that, I wouldn't have been able to do anything that I did. And as for where the ideas came from, I honestly have no idea. (laughs) It wasn't like a specific YouTube channel that I saw of alternative living or podcasts that I listened to. Just sort of, yeah, ideas that have come upon and I've decided to act upon them. That's really neat. You've done a bunch of other travel as well, right? Like where else have you been so far? What else have you been doing for travel? Yes. So I went to Europe when I was in middle school. This was with a program called People to People. And I went to, I think, six or seven different nations over in Europe for 19 days and then all across the U.S. and Hawaii. But I've never made it past either of those directions. (laughs) In the springtime, I want to travel over to Europe and Japan and Southeast Asia as well. Awesome. And is this going to be solo travel or... That's the plan. The benefit of solo travel is that you can just up and leave, up and do whatever you want. However, you don't have the companionship or the safety that traveling with someone else right. would provide. Did you find like on your first kind of, because I mean, I assume when you were 16, you did that 10,000 mile trip. Was That was solo. That was and solo. Was that your first like major solo trip? It was definitely my first major solo trip. I guess that gave me a lot of confidence and going back to how have I been able to step outside of my comfort zone or how have I been able to do these certain things? I don't think that I could go from quote unquote normal average to doing all of these different things and one big massive jump. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been steps and I've just taken a lot of little and progressively larger steps into doing these different and alternative things. And so we yeah. need to go back to the main question. Oh, yeah. No, I was like, so someone could like go for a weekend trip by themselves and just come back and get comfortable with the idea of being alone. Right. And because like for me, I don't think I've done any solo trips yet. And I like the idea of backpacking and camping. But like the idea of doing that alone, alone with your thoughts and not having anyone to talk to, like right. that would be a real challenge for me. Like what are the, well, like maybe you could talk about some of the advantages of solo travel and like and how you overcame some of those challenges. So solo travel for me has provided lots of time for introspection. And among many others, Gary Vee is the one that's popping into my head. But he always preaches, you need to know yourself first before you can really do anything else. And so, yeah, I've had a lot of experiences alone, which come with their own battles and demons, but also can liberate in the sense that you get to know yourself and conquer those dragons whereas other people haven't faced those yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because they always have someone to go to when they have their problems, right? Right. Whether it's a partner or friends or family, but like, yeah, having just yourself and you got to deal with these problems on your own, like there's definitely got to be a mental mental challenge kind of going on there to... Just a notepad to write down your thoughts and collect those and maybe look at 
look back at them in a different state physically or emotionally at a different time and say, oh, this is rational. This is not. This is what I should be thinking. Oh, now that I've stepped away and gotten a new perspective on the situation, I can look at it with a new set of eyes. That's really interesting, actually. This is very unrelated to finances, but I mean, we do get to get it. We do do talk (laughs) a lot about like philosophy and and happiness and all that kind of thing. Like I've noticed the same thing. I don't do a ton of writing, but every once in a while when I'm in a state, like an emotional state, I'll try, I'll write something down and I'll find that even in that state, there's something about writing things down that like your logical brain starts kicking in. And even if you're, even if you're in, even if you're, you know, you're sad or you're angry or whatever, you know, your logical brain kicks in while you're writing these ridiculous, maybe sometimes ridiculous things. Like I feel like this, but like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I don't have any real reason to be angry here or any real like solid logical reason to be upset. Like you start, you start telling yourself, you start owning your problems. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that can't really be understated. The idea of just like, you know, if, if you don't have someone there to support you or you're alone or you're doing solo travel, like writing things down, having a journal, that kind of thing could be really helpful. So, okay. Back to the finances thing. How are you affording the travel? Recently, I've been flipping cars, buying and selling them. And when I say that, I mean a lot of cars. (laughs) The past year has gotten crazy with the number of cars that I've bought and sold. I've always been entrepreneurial. I sold little Peruvian flutes at my local farmer's market and jam and jelly that I made at home. (laughs) In middle school, I sold the most candy bars as a fundraiser for the trip to Chicago that the school takes. So uh, I was not only able to pay for myself, but also for a couple more students to go. And then we took a trip to the Everglades in a high school. And most people would just use their own money or ask their parents to pay for them. However, I did a couple of different fundraisers to pay for my own trip and part of another students as well there. And then When I was 14, I got a job working minimum wage at Dairy Queen. And at 15, I had a job at the local pool. And so I have worked some more traditional jobs as a teenager. But when I was 14, my coworker at Dairy Queen asked me if I knew anyone who was looking to buy a car because she needed to sell hers. And I think this was early in the week, maybe a Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. She was getting a new car on Saturday. So she wanted hers sold by Friday night. And she said, I know that my car should be worth something like 1400 but I would take 1200 or a 1000 for it just to have it sold so that I could have the money to buy my new one. Yeah. And so as the days went on, we worked with each other either Thursday or Friday. And I said, have you sold your car yet? She replied that she hadn't. And being a 14-year-old, I didn't really spend money on anything. Mm-hmm. And so I had accumulated some savings and I bought her car for 800 And then a couple of weeks later, I think I sold it for 14 or 16 Wow. And so that was the first flip. And that's what really sparked it all. Seeing that I could make in a couple of weeks what I made in a couple of months doing part-time at Dairy Queen was just really empowering and exciting. And so my next car was a huge flop. I lost a ton of money on that <laughs> one. And it was really roller coastery for the first probably 30 And then I found what I was doing that got up to about number 60 before I left to go to school in Hawaii. And I only flipped one car out there. I said, I'm going to focus on academics. I'm not going to do this car thing any longer. And then when I came home in the spring to do online classes, I wanted to fill up my time with a job because everyone else was in college or in high school still. 
and I wanted to keep busy. And so I just started buying and selling cars. And so I went from about 60 to now 192. Wow. I mean, this was like a week ago I asked you and you said 188. So you've been (laughs) flying, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. How how do you, how are you identifying? Like what, like, do you have a specific niche of vehicles now that you're flipping or like, what do you look for when you're trying to flip a car? Right now I do. I usually stick with cheaper Hondas or Toyotas. They seem to sell really easily. They're easy to work on. And there's a huge market for just a bland, economical gas saving vehicle. And so I've done a lot of those throughout the years and most recently this year, but I'll really dabble with anything. I've had motorcycles, slow cars, fast cars, really small cars like that Miata, huge trucks, all sorts of things. Wow. And are you fixing these yourself or what are you doing there? Yes. uh, I would say 95% of the cars I'll fix myself. If there's a big task, then I'll hire it out. Or if it's something I don't have the equipment for, like putting new tires on it, then I'll have to take it to the shop to do that. Right. But otherwise, I do a lot of cosmetic enhancements. Like headlights or like that kind of right. stuff? Polishing headlights <laughs> is where the money is for sure. <laughs> and so, yeah, just lots of thorough cleaning, detailing, spraying down all of the surfaces and making them shine and marketing it really well. It's all in the buy, buying it smart, sort of yeah. the same with the house. Yeah. And that's where most of the money is made. And then strategic upgrades and renovations. Yeah. Uh, it's exactly the same as a car. It's just at a different, or as a house, it's just at a different scale. Right. So do you, so I know with houses, we have, de- we have like specific, I mean, at least I have a specific like criteria that I'm looking for when, when I'm buying a vehicle or when I'm buying a house, do you have something like that when I'm looking at a vehicle? Like do you have a, what are the numbers look like on a, on like the typical car flip for you? Flip. They're all over the board. So I used to like to shoot for making a couple hundred and then it jumped up to making 500. Now I usually try to stay away from anything unless I think I'll make about a thousand. But like I said, I just, I flip a lot of Hondas. However, I just bought a Mini Cooper that I bought for 1700 and sold it a week later for 33 doing nothing except for polishing the headlights. Wow. And so it totally depends. I've also obviously taken quite a few losses just by nature. Yeah. Being involved in quote unquote the game so long. You win some, you lose some. And so there's no set criteria as to too many miles or if it needs to have certain options or what sort of return percentage or overall just anything just a buffer just a th- about a thousand dollars between what you're going to buy it for plus the costs you're going to put into it and then the air after that, ideally value. yeah interesting that's cool that's, that's a it sounds like your criteria right there so okay you can't so we actually met at OREC in uh like an ontario the ontario real estate conference here in london ontario and what brought you out there? Because you must be interested in real estate investing at some point. Yes. So because there are so many similarities between car flipping and house flipping and burring, all sorts of different strategies, I got interested in real estate. So to begin this, I followed Graham Stefan on YouTube. And that was actually because he drives a Lotus, which is a little sports car. Anyway, he did a review on a Lotus and then I found out about real estate through him. And then I found out about Matt McKeever, who was the host <laughs> at OREC. I forgot that was a story. That's crazy. Because we had Graham Stefan on the podcast as well. Right. <laughs> and so to me, Graham has been this celebrity rather than just a real estate agent and investor. And so I was like, man, I want to meet this dude. He <laughs> seems so cool. So I drove 
roughly six hours up to this real estate conference, owning no properties and not really even having any interest in buying one in the short term. But I'm super glad that I made the trip because I've made so many awesome connections. Wow. I wouldn't be doing this podcast had I not come to OREC. So. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear. That's great. Okay. So on the topic of financial independence, do you right now have some sort of a goal there? Like, do you have a, do you have a financial independence number, like a certain amount of money you want to save? Or do you have like, at some point you want to start building up a real estate portfolio that has passive income? What are your kind of your goals there? I don't have a set number. I don't have a specific fire number that I'll hit. And then retire because I guess how I like to live is in this semi-retired state, so to speak, where I'm not working a traditional job and I'm not taking orders, not doing things that I don't really want to be doing. And so I found a way, at least for myself, that I can integrate the things that I like to do and add value to them to provide me with the monetary assets to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. Like the mini retirements thing, like we had Tom Forsyth on and He'll work for a while. He'll maybe I'll flip a house and then he'll travel for five or six months. Mm-hmm. Like, is that kind of lifestyle appeal to you or is it like, uh, it does. I would like to settle down more than that with some sense of security and stability. I definitely do want to get into real estate and get some passive income from that, especially hearing from all of the folks that I heard from at OREC and networking with them like Matt Pichet and you and Micro's Heart and all of these individuals that get so much just in passive income from what they've started already. So right now you're flipping cars. Are you trying to save up a certain amount of income before maybe you'll kind of dive in and buy a, buy a real estate asset? Or what, what are your thoughts there? Like, do you, have a, do you have a time when you think you'll maybe buy your first rental property? Yes. So that's actually in the super short term, hopefully. Mm-hmm. This weekend, I'm up in Canada, and the next weekend, I'm going to an event called the Summit of Greatness in Columbus, Ohio, hosted by Lewis Howes. Then the weekend after that, I'm planning on moving out west. And so I'd like to either find a property to house hack or ideally rent hack, because I don't know that I'll want to stay there long term. But if I could find somewhere with like a six-month or a year-long lease that I could sublet uh, to offset the living costs. Yeah. That's something I definitely want to do. And so I'll be getting out of the car, uh, flipping thing as intensely as I've been doing it and shifting over to more real estate, something right. like that. What's, Different endeavors. What's drawing you out West? You're planning, I didn't know you're planning on moving out there. Yeah. So what's, what's the draw? Well, right now I'm thinking about moving to Colorado. I have lots of family out there and then Denver is a pretty big city with a large international airport. So if I need to fly to the East Coast, I can. If I want to fly to the West Coast, I can. Or to any different countries. Those are all options compared to where I'm living now. I have to drive about three hours to even get to the airport. Wow, three hours. That's crazy. Yeah. And then from there, it's a pretty expensive flight. And I would have to take multiple connecting flights to get anywhere large. And so... Given the future that I want to create for myself, I'd like to have a large airport around and also with Colorado or certain areas that I'd like to live in out west. There are just outdoor activities that I'd like to do with mountains, yeah. uh, biking, running. seems like a very active city. Right. It suits, suits your lifestyle type yeah. thing. That's cool. And in the Midwest where I'm living now, you know this as a vegan, but it's pretty important to have a good community of other vegans and vegan restaurants. So just moving towards a healthier lifestyle physically 
as well. Just being surrounded with the type of people you want to like that are living the lifestyle you want to be living. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. So I've been following you on Instagram for a while now, basically since OREC, I think. Okay. And you definitely have one of the more inspirational channels. It kind of gets me pumped up and like a lot of actionable things. You're like, go do this right now. And like, you know, I try to do those things when I can. So it, it's cool. Awesome. So what, what kind of draws you to sharing like your experiences publicly and like putting yourself out there? So that is me post OREC entirely. I, I realized the power of social media because of OREC, that event wouldn't have happened had Matt, Jeff, Graham, any of those guys not gotten on YouTube. And so wow. just by seeing that, I was like, man, I need to start doing this. <laughs> and with YouTube, there's a lot of editing involved. I've tried that twice now. I want to hop back on and give it third time's a charm. Give it another shot. I was going to ask because I, I looked, I saw you at a YouTube channel, last video was about a year ago or so, where you, you are thinking about at some point, maybe right. starting one up again. Starting it back up, ideally before Vegas. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, we can maybe yeah. plug some tickets for yeah, the for Vegas sure. event as well. Yeah, yeah. If this, oh, this should get posted in time. So uh, yeah, Vegas uh, conference is going to be going on. I think it's called the... Vegas Entrepreneurial Experience. Yep. So Matt McKeever, Jeff Weibo are hosting that. So... Just Google that or look on the Facebook groups or uh, I think it's on Real Estate Rat Pack uh, website. So you can reach out to either of us directly as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Feel free. Okay. So what is it that you want to get out of this, out of that conference actually? Like what is drawing you to, to checking out all these? You want to see Lewis Howes and like right. going to Vegas, like you came to OREC. What, what draws you to these different conferences? And you know, like you seem to be pretty good at networking. So like, what is it about these things? That you're, like, what is it you're getting out of these? Right. So OREC was seriously like the thing that sparked it all for me, which is crazy to say because this was the first year of OREC, but I realized that your net worth is your net worth and that I could find like-minded individuals, uh, not necessarily where I was living back home, but at these different events and conferences. And so being able to connect with certain individuals that want the same things that I want that have decided that maybe a different alternative life to the get a job, work till you're 65, consume a lot of stuff. Yeah. Maybe isn't the way to go. And so being able to just connect with other individuals is really what's pushing me towards doing yeah. all of these things. I, it's funny because it sounds like I would have planned something like that. I had no idea that OREC was such a like turning point in your yeah. life and kind of meeting everybody and that kind of thing. We've heard that time and time again, just from like our London on Fire network and, and, and like YouTube and Instagram stuff, just getting connected with these people really gets people inspired. I think especially when they meet people who are kind of close by to them and they're like, these are real people. These aren't just dudes on the girls and guys on the internet. They're like, Real people doing real things. Mm. I'd like to just say it again for anyone who doesn't have a network like that in their city. First of all, see if there is something. And if there isn't, we've said it a million times, but start your own. Start your own meetup group. Go to meetup.com and just pay the 100 bucks or whatever it is and start up your own group. Become the hub. If you don't already have something wherever you're moving to, like, take a look. You might be able to start your own meetup. Like, just draw people in. It's been life-changing for me and it seems to be life-changing for a lot of people involved. We should jump into the fire four. Okay. So the first question is, what are you grateful for? I've been recently trying to practice being ultra grateful for pretty much everything. When I wake up, just, I don't know how to say this without sounding weird, but just thinking like, man, I'm so grateful for my feet, for my legs, for my arms. Like there's food in my refrigerator. There's eyes that I can see with. I have a nose that I can smell with unless I'm stuffed up. <laughs> uh, but... Just very like real things, right? right? Like, 
And so going through sort of like meditation, but just being super present and aware of even the simplest things that we have to be grateful for. And if you can be grateful for those things, the even more exceptional things become exceptionally awesome. That's cool. Where did you hear that somewhere? Or did you just kind of come up with that? I think that was on Lewis Howe's uh, School of Greatness podcast. Nice. Cool. And so that's the event that I'll be going to as well. Awesome. Yeah. He seems like a, like a really cool guy. I got to follow Lewis Howe's a little more. So the next question is, do you have a guilty pleasure or a tool or something in life you can't live without? Probably YouTube. I probably spend way too much time on YouTube. <laughs> Cliff Builders Bars. <laughs> this is an ongoing joke between both of us. They're vegan protein bars and we tried to cut them from our life, but man, they're addicting <laughs> and they're awesome. They're just like bars of sugar. <laughs> they're like chocolate bars with yep. 20 grams of protein. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to break, we're both trying to break that habit right now. They're very addicting. <laughs> so yeah. Is there a frugality tip or a life hack you'd like to share with the listeners? Definitely. So I would say to start, if you don't already look at pretty much everything in, as an investment So I'll spend higher amounts of money than maybe my friends on food, but I think down the road, uh, buying healthy food and living a more active lifestyle will pay off later on. And so just looking at whatever things that I spend money on, are they really adding lots of value to my life? And if so, am I allocating the correct proportions of my resources to them? Right. Cool. So if you, if your life was a movie right now, what would the hero in your own movie do? So this is a great question because I was listening to this podcast in the late summer when I was thinking about going back to Hawaii and my superhero would have not gone back to Hawaii and dropped out before and myself, I just went back. And so I think my superhero is kind of aligned with what I'm doing now. I'm trying to push myself to be my best version and just be that superhero every day. That's so cool. I've noticed the answer to these questions. Sometimes it's people who are like, I'm already doing what the hero in my life would want to do. And usually people doing that, their life is in flux. They're, They're doing something that's different from what they were just doing a year ago. Mm -hmm. And then there are some people who they're like, you know, the hero of my movie would probably do something completely different. And like, I like to think that we talked to them in a year, maybe they're doing what the hero of their own movie would have done. And that shift has happened. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's really stuck with me from Gary Vaynerchuk is that he says, go to a retirement home and see genuine, like deep regret. And that scares that scares them a whole bunch. And that scares me a lot. Even at my age, I don't want to be making decisions that I'm going to regret based on inaction or acting out of fear. Yeah. Well, I think you have a really inspiring story. The fact that you've flipped 192 cars by the age of 20 is kind of crazy. Like, I can't wait to see when you get into real estate what you're going to get up to. I, I know that you're going to be great at finding deals, identifying what these strategic renovations and that kind of thing are going to be, identifying what the market value of all this stuff is. So it'll be really neat to see when you get into that, how you apply yourself. How it goes. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to see as well. <laughs> All right. So thank you very much for being on the show, Max. Before we wrap up, we'd like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. So what would you like to ask the audience? So my question is, where do you draw the line on being frugal and practicing fire and splurging a little bit and going all out on an experience? For example, I'm going to Toronto on Saturday night and I was looking at different Airbnbs. So just to stay there, 
in the short term, short notice that I was looking, it was about $70. And then for a nice condo that's pretty high in the sky, the cheapest one was $120. So I ended up booking a $200 condo just for one night, which isn't the most frugal, maybe not financially responsible thing. But to have this experience that I want to splurge on just one time, where do you draw the line? Yeah. I love that. All right. So where can people find you and get in touch with you? Hopefully I'll be starting the YouTube channel up shortly before this podcast even gets released. And that will just be my name, Max Karg, K-A-R-G on YouTube and then at Max C Karg on Instagram. Cool. So that's M-A-X-C-K-A-R-G. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. All right. So thank you very much for joining us, Max. Really appreciate it. Yes, it was a pleasure. Thank you. That was a great episode. Max is a great guy. And, you know, I'm not even going to ramble on because let's just get into some of the updates. Yeah, so it's actually been a couple of months since the recording this episode. But similar to Matt and Cassidy from the last episode, I had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with Max at V2018 in Vegas. And we discussed our goals a lot. And honestly, there's a little bit too much going on in Max's life right now. We, we just we're going to have to do a catch up episode with him in the future. But from what I do know, Max decided after about one week back in school in Hawaii that it just wasn't lining up with his goals and he decided to drop out to pursue other business opportunities. One of them, he's going to be doing a podcast of his own. So we're going to need to catch up with him on all of that in the future soon. Absolutely. And while you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community as well. Follow us on Instagram at on fire podcast. And make sure to tune in to the next episode of the On Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. And if you can just take a second, click the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on. It helps let the provider know that you're enjoying the content, which helps us out. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Adora Svitek said. There's no committee that says this is the type of person who can change the world and you can't. Realizing that anyone can do it is the first step. The next step is figuring out how you're going to do it.